Employees at the Social Security Administration are just a few small steps away from solidifying benefits in telework eligibility, training and career development, and much more. That's after SSA reached an agreement with its biggest union, the American Federation of Government Employees. But union leaders are still eyeing more for a workforce which has struggled for years with high turnover and equally high workloads. Federal News Network's Drew Friedman joins me now with the details. And first of all, what's updated in this new agreement and how long does this one run for, Drew? So this agreement will last until October 2029, so another six years or just a little over six years from now. And it covers a lot of different provisions. I believe it's six total. Some of the big ones, though, of course, you have a couple different opportunities for telework, which are going to be solidified through 2029 now. This isn't overall telework policy, but some telework in some specific instances. So, for example, if an SSA employee has to go out of town for a couple of months at a time, they're allowed something called a temporary compassionate assignment so they can work remotely for up to two months. There's also going to be virtual details available to SSA employees so they can learn about different agency components and different jobs that are available within SSA, and those can be done remotely. And then also they extended a memorandum of understanding where employees who have minor disciplinary actions against them can still telework. So there's a couple things that were you know, in existence and just solidified for now another six years. Along with the telework, there's also training and career development opportunities for SSA employees now. So agency and union leaders are going to, under the new agreement, work together to develop and improve the training models that SSA employees have. Jessica LaPointe, who's president of AFGE Council 220, she explained more why that training development is so important. This is a huge article for us because our training at SSA is a major pain point within the agency. Based on agency focus groups and our own surveys, we have concluded that our training is sorely inadequate and it's resulting in a 17% attrition rate for new hires. All right, so they seem to have solved that one. Then, Drew, what did the negotiations look like? And what are some of those challenges besides training that she mentioned? AFGE and SSA opened these six contract provisions back in April, so it's been months of negotiations. And I think there was some initial contention between the agency and union leaders, but ultimately they were able to come to this uh, decision together. There have been a lot of problems at SSA in the workforce for a lot many years now, uh, they have for in 2022 they had their biggest um, shortage of employees in more than 25 years. There was also high attrition, a lot of people leaving the agency during the COVID-19 pandemic, and then now of course that means there's a lot higher workloads for SSA employees who stayed in their field office positions. That is leading to poor work-life balance, and then that coupled with limited training opportunities, limited telework. The union says the pay is pretty low as well. So there's all these issues that are kind of combining into a really tough time for SSA. And they actually placed last in the best places to work rankings this most recent go around with the Partnership for Public Service. So there's a lot of stuff going on. And I think that, you know, coming to this tentative agreement between AFGE and SSA, they seem to think this is going to be a positive step for for the workforce. Well, they weren't quite as bad as the Bureau of Prisons, but they were pretty far down there. And of course, this all comes in the context of the retirement, the shockwave of retirement of the baby boomers still hitting Social Security. So the rosters are growing 
thousands, literally, every day of the calendar year. So it's kind of important. And what was the reaction? Were they happy? Were they like two boxers, both exhausted? Or were, at the end of the negotiations, the uh, the agency and the union saying, hey, that came out pretty good? Yeah, I think you can imagine that after negotiating for months, I think everyone was pretty pleased with the outcome. The SSA press officers told me that he felt optimistic about the results. And, you know, even though it's tentative, not fully in place yet, it seems like it's it's on the right track. And AFG leaders as well were, you know, very positive about these changes. I mentioned telework and career training, but there were a lot of other things included in there as well. Things like child and elder care, lactation services for SSA employees who are nursing, who have to work, and, you know, just a lot of little things that can really add up and make a difference for these employees. Yeah, some of those things seem pretty simple to do. I mean, if you want to do it, it's not hard, like lactation services. You need a curtain, you know, or a, a place and put paper over the window and, you know, there it is. They do right. it in airports now. Yeah, it was, it was sim- as simple as, you know, installing a mini fridge that's specifically meant for that. And that's, you know, even that small of a change can make a big difference yeah, for Yeah, for the for grand employees. sum of $79, you can get a, you know, a nice <laughs> little refrigerator. All right. And now this agreement has to be ratified, right, by the rank and file? Right. So that once the AFGE members, which there are 42,000 of them across the country, once they ratify the new provisions in that new contract, then it'll stay in place, as I said, until October 2029. There's also an official agency sign off at the end of everything. But, you know, if everything goes according to plan, this this should be in place for another six years. Wow. Six years. That'll be after the end of whatever administration comes less. So comes next. So we uh, have no idea who the president might be at that point or what their philosophy is going to be. All right. Now, at the top, we mentioned that beyond these things that are in this new agreement, the AFGE still is trying to get some more out of Social Security. What else do they want? One thing that is top of mind for AFGE still is they've said that telework is going to be an uphill battle. So they've proposed a 10-year study at field offices to look at, you know, can we add telework opportunities for employees, especially those who are more seasoned? So, you know, the more years that you spend at SSA, maybe you can get a little bit more telework opportunity and seeing how that might impact retention within the agency. They're also looking for a budget actually above what the Biden administration has requested for fiscal 2024. And SSA as well has said that, you know, at least within the Biden administration's request, that funding is going to be crucial to actually implement and carry out a lot of these contract provisions and going beyond that as well. It seems like this is a positive step in the right direction, but LaPointe said, you know, there's still more ahead. So time will tell truly how how the employees feel about this new contract. But in terms of just the, the work we put in, we feel like we have in the moment succeeded. If we don't get the budget that we need, that's going to be um, a huge blow to that morale. But it, just in terms of having this contract extended until 2029 is also extremely hopeful. We got our official time back as a union so we can represent employees and that's locked into the contract for the next six years as well. For the moment, we're feeling good, but we do understand the uphill battle ahead. And that's Jessica LaPointe, who's president of Council 220. And we've been talking to Federal News Network's Drew Friedman. Thanks so much for that report. Thank you, Tom. And check out her stories at federalnewsnetwork.com. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Everett Kelly, National President of the American Federation of Government Employees, 
Join Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to share how his upbringing in rural Alabama eventually propelled him to the forefront of thousands of union members raising a collective voice. After years of leadership with both the largest federal employee union and as a pastor, Everett Kelly reflects on his deep-rooted values of integrity and hard work. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today I'm joined by Mr. Everett Kelly, National President of the American Federation of Government Employees. Everett, welcome and thank you for being here. Shane, thank you. It's a pleasure is mine. You first joined AFGE in 1981 during what eventually became your 30 years of service at Anniston Army Depot. We're now more than 40 years past 1981 and you've been the union's national president since 2020. How's your decades-long involvement with AFGE impacted the way you view your role now as the union's leader? The time that I spent as local president, I simultaneously spent that same time as a pastor in Alabama. I like to say that this was my training ground because as I was entering into the role of unionism, I was also entering into ministry. And so I see my role even as the union leader, as ministry. It's never an understatement because this is what I believe. I believe that if you love people and show people that you love them, people will follow you. My business is in the business of growing people, uh, and that's what I do. And And I think that my training as a pastor and as a union uh, leader has given me the ability to really, you know, uh, grow people because I feel like that, you know, it's my responsibility both as a union leader and as a pastor to ensure that people have a livable wage. It's also uh, my responsibility to ensure that people are treated fair with dignity and respect on the job. And I think that goes in both uh, arenas. So, so I've seen this you know, as ministry, as I've grown through the four decades of leading people. Putting those two together is amazing. AFGE handles a massive array of issues and topics of importance to feds across many departments and agencies. What is it like being at the forefront of all those moving parts, and how do you manage it all? Well, first of all, let me give kudos to my staff, okay? Uh, Because it's just no way that I could manage all of this work and all the moving parts by myself. But I have an excellent staff that always makes sure that I'm prepared and that I'm ready. But it's exciting. It's exciting to be out in the forefront, you know, uh, bringing people to the realization that they have something to fight for. But again, I cannot, and please understand when I say I cannot, it's, it's, it's what I truly believe. I cannot do it without a good, strong staff. Uh, and I tell anybody that, but I enjoy fighting for the cause. I enjoy standing in front of a group of AFG members, calling them to action, and then standing back and watching that action come to fruition because I know that I'm not the one that's doing it, okay? They are the one that's doing it. I'm merely casting a vision, right? And I enjoy casting a vision and then watching a vision come to fruition. And it's the staff and the members that get that done. As CEO at, at WEPA, I completely and totally understand that we rely on them. It's not Absolutely. just nice to have. We rely on Absolutely. them. Absolutely. As AFGE president, you often speak at union rallies and other events. 
widely attended by federal employees. What's it like to experience that direct connection to employees? And how does that influence your leadership style? You know, that gets me excited, okay? To be standing in front of a group of AFGE leaders get me excited. To hear the words, who are we, and the chants that come back that says AFGE gets me excited. It gets my motor uh, running, if you will. And it's exciting to look at them and see the motivation in their faces when they're fighting for a cause. And, and, and all of us come together and fight uh, in solidarity, fight as one, raise one voice. You can't explain the feeling. You just know that it's right. You know, I just know that it's right when I'm standing there and I feel this. And I never fail to say thank you again because I'm the one that merely cast the vision. They are the ones that get the work done. And so when I see them out there ready to go and that call to action goes out, and then I see them really begin to march on that uh, initiative. It's an energy that I cannot explain. I can explain it. I'm feeling it right now. <laughs> um, d- describe how your personal background and upbringing folds into how you function as a leader. You know, understanding that I was born in the Deep South. I was born in a little small town in Goodwater, Alabama, population 1,292 today. Born to parents that, and I hope I don't offend anybody, and I've got to quit saying this, but, but I was born to a set of parents that believed and trusted in God. And that began to establish who I was. I began to trust God myself in everything that I do. I, I trust God even in this situation as a union leader, because my parents taught me to believe in uh, the Bible. And with that came, do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. In other words, treat people right. Treat people with respect, right? Do what's right. It taught me, you know, about integrity, right? It taught me about being honest, you know, and that's what's needed in the role of a leader of this union. It, it, it's, it's needed uh, and, you know, I try to portray that. I try to portray a person of honesty and a person of integrity. And so being in the Deep South, you know, you, you, you just learn those things. And that's what has helped me uh, throughout my path as a union leader. And it's always nice, that whole approach, because you don't have multiple approaches with different people or different sets of different tasks, different energy. It's it's always straightforward, yes. honest, here's the truth. Yes. And it's it's easy. Yes. Right? Yes. It's a lot easier than having multiple personas. Absolutely. You, yeah. Absolutely. What's one piece of advice if you could go back and tell yourself when you were starting your career? You know, I don't know you asked for one, but I'm I'm gonna have to elaborate on two. Yeah. If that's yeah. okay. Number one, I would explain the urgency of integrity a lot sooner than what I did, right? Because to me, Integrity is not necessarily what you see others do or what others see you do, but integrity to me is what you do even when no one is looking. And so I I would really begin to stress that importance more so at an earlier state in my leadership role rather than the latter part. Okay, I begin to stress that more now, but I wish I had began to do that more at the earlier states in my uh, role. Secondly, I would tell myself to always, and I'm going back to my roots, 
always work hard and don't ever accept no as an answer, right? Because I just believe that if you want it bad enough, if you want to achieve it, you can. It's all about the amount of work you put into it, right? And the and the amount of faith you have that it can be accomplished. So when I look at AFGE and its membership and where we were four or five years ago and where we are today, that's a reminder that you can do whatever you want to do if you put your mind to it and work hard enough. And one question that's always kind of interesting at, at the end of our time together is, is there one person, you mentioned your parents before, mm-hmm. um, is there one person or maybe more than one who really inspired you when you were younger that you might even think back on today? It was my grandmother, you know, with the understanding that when and when I was born, right, as I said, I was born in the Deep South. My father worked extremely hard. We didn't have a whole lot. You know, my, I had 12 siblings. And so when I was born, I was very sick. As a matter of fact, the doctor said I wouldn't live to be 16 years old. The doctor said I wouldn't ever hold a job. But my grandmother would always teach me how to pray. And she taught me about faith. And it is prayer and faith that has allowed me to be standing here today. Suppose I've been dead 50 years ago, but I'm 66 years old now. And it's all because of my faith and my belief and my prayer life. And I believe that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Amazing story. Thank you for sharing all of it with us, Everett. And really appreciate you being on the show today. Pleasure is mine. And this is Shane Canfield. We'll see you next time on Lessons in Leadership. Find the full podcast and future episodes of Lessons in Leadership on the Federal News Network app and anywhere you enjoy your podcasts.